Welcome to Trunk Church. Come drink the blood of God with us. Bless you for being an angel Just when it seemed that heaven was not for me Hello, I am Cosima B. Concordia, and I am a writer and someone who relates a little bit more than is comfortable to the protagonists of the novels we're going to be talking about today. And I'm Aurora Laybourne, and I'm dangerously intrigued by the lifestyles of the Mm, dangerously intrigued. I'm going to introduce us as the Halloween special. Yes, this is the super special Halloween episode, which obviously is the holiest of holy days for um, Drunk Church and our congregation. So what are we talking about today, Aurora? So we're talking about erotic literature, Story of O and Leash, and we're examining the theme of how desire brings us precariously close to death yeah that desire is to seek something outside the self and so to seek desire to its extreme to its conclusion is to seek some sort of self-annihilation something close to death which is to say that desire has something to it that is fundamentally horrific something that Mm -hmm. should scare us at the same time that desire makes us who we are, it shores up our identity. It's also that which leads to its undoing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the relationship between agency, what it means to be a desiring subject, and then what it actually means to experience that desire as a subject. Mm-hmm. So should we do an, a little a little summation of story of O? So Story of O is, I think, probably one of the most famous erotic novels of all time, starring the titular O. It's written by Pauline uh, Rage. (laughs) Rage. (laughs) Rage. I don't know. It'd be cool if it was pronounced like that. It's French, so it's not a real language. Mm -hmm. Well, and actually her real name is Anne Desclos, but her pen name is Pauline uh, Rege. And it was published in 1954. Specifically, one of the reasons she wrote it was that she was told that a woman could not write an erotic novel. And so Story of O is partially what came out of that. It's known mm-hmm. for being a book that pushes the limits of desire to extremes and certainly curdles into horror as it pushes that into the most extreme form of BDSM relationship. That's a complete giving up of the self. I think there's a lot of like cultural artifacts that we have from the story of O, like the O-ring necklace is like a motif that has come from the story of O. One of the brothels where the women are trained is called Samoa. And Samoa is the name that the first leather dyke organization in San Francisco started by like Pat Calafia amongst several other famous 
leather dykes. It's very much one of kind of our originary texts, very much in the way that Sod's 120 Days of Sodom or Venus and Furs is. Mm-hmm. And unlike Venus and Furs, it actually is, is very explicit in its eroticism. So Venus and Furs, like there's really no sex. <laughs> there's just the beginning of an unpacking of a scene and then the narrative switches or in like Saad's writing, I think he devolves into these like philosophical analyses versus like this is more visceral, more overt with the experience, mm-hmm. with the descriptions. In one of the introductions to Story of O by Sylvia Day, it compares Story of O to a fairy tale that sort of has a lesson where it seeks mm-hmm. not to arouse the reader, but to caution against desire, a divergence of purpose that perfectly reflects the splintering of body and mind experienced by O. And then we are left asking the question, did O sacrifice herself for love or did love make a sacrifice of O? Now, I think I have some questions that it doesn't (laughs) seek to arouse the reader. It's certainly like very eloquent, but also at times almost droning prose. So it's definitely not the most titillating thing, but it is also a very erotic text and certainly has some very, very hot passages. So I don't know, (laughs) take that as you will, but it does show how it is kind of the originary text of how self-desire taken to its extreme is something that continually outdoes itself and pushes forward and that as soon as you've attained one thing desire is further out it's always it's always moving forward until mm-hmm. you barely recognize yourself etymologically when we understand desire or desire in like in german start talking about german philosophy there's a greediness to it like there's this consumptive element where it's something that just becomes more and more hungry (laughs) like there's a ravishness ravenousness how is it like a extreme extreme hunger to it yeah yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. and so like kind of the conceit of the novel is that it starts with O and her lover renee who takes her to the society that will train her and she's used by all of these different men and at first it is entirely centered around her love of this one man but then the way in which love and desire are situated is this constantly shifting thing so then we learn at one point that Renee actually is giving her to this other man who's like his half brother Sir Stephen And he's even, you know, more exacting. And at first, they don't have any love between them. But, like, O learns to love him. And Renee's love of O is, like, even improved in the fact that, like, she fulfills the desires of Sir Stephen because Renee wants to impress Sir Stephen as this kind of, you know, um, mentor-type figure to him. So there's always these very interesting homoerotic, and if not homoerotic, certainly homosocial elements going throughout the text. And also, for instance, like, O is very bisexual and specifically really loves to have women lovers and, like, very much likes to objectify them and, like, take, basically be the top, like, basically play the role of a man, which uh, it's 
it's not mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not the best text as far as um <laughs> queerness and there and there's a bunch of fucked up elements but like she doesn't want to have any of her clothes taken off she wants to strip a woman and then be assured of her value to men through how affected she is by seeing the naked form of another woman who she desires and so <laughs> there's like all of these like very uh, nuanced elements of desire at play at all times in the text, which mm-hmm. certainly center around what we would call cis heteronormativity, but also mm-hmm. are doing very interesting things even within that context. Even the notion of the secret society that they're part of, like it's incredibly classed in ways that feel kind of gross. Oh yeah, for sure. At least something that I noticed, like that distinguished both the books, is the sites. So these elite clubs that O was going to and then like losing herself in versus the setting of the dive bar or the setting of these like shitty little New York apartments that seem to be so important to the scene in Leash. Mm-hmm. And also there's this constant idea in both texts of consent being given only to be undermined. So for instance, there's a speech O is told by Renee where it's because it's easy for you to consent that I want from you what it will be impossible for you to consent to, even if you agree ahead of time. Even if you say yes now and imagine yourself capable of submitting, you won't be able not to revolt. Your submission will be obtained in spite of you, not only for the pleasure that I and others will derive from it, but also so that you will be made aware of what has been done to you. Desire is this thing that, like, once you have submitted yourself in one direction to, like, one set of things down the line, you know, like, six months down, even if you can leave and at any time, even if you can just walk away at first, you know, you're tied in because of your love for another, your love for a specific person and the feeling of being unable to leave that person. And then it's, like, your sense of dependency and that submission become such an all-consuming way of existing Mm -hmm. that it becomes almost impossible to think leaving it and so your own desire becomes its own trap yeah desire is not merely the feeling of wanting something that is lacked it's not a desire of a given object but it's the greedy consumption that feeds our sense of selves but if we're the object of someone else's consumption and the intention is for us to lose ourself then desire ends up being perverted in this very fascinating way because it's pretty necessarily unsustainable. But that's what makes it so, I don't know, that's the (laughs) desiring aspect of it. Can you give a preface to like what concept of desire this is, like where it comes from? It's a Hegelian notion of desire, but it's this notion of desire that Sakura Masak and Saad pick up. And so it's the same kind of desire that we're going to find in Bataille and then in any kind of literature that sees itself as an heir to Sakura Masak, so it's Venus in Furs or the Marquis de Sade in any kind of reiteration of sadism. So the first appearance of the relationship between desire and self-making, which I think we can trace back to the phenomenology of spirit. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Sakura Masak actually cites Hegel. So the beginning of Venus in Furs, he's napping and he has this dream about venus and of a femdom and he wakes up and he's like having fallen asleep reading hegel Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but it posits that 
desire is greedy. It's, it's there's something about it that feeds our sense of self, but it's not merely because it's the feeling of wanting something that we lack. It's not merely just the wanting of an object that's missing or that we aspire to attain, but it's acts of greedy consumption that feed our sense of self. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about Venus and furs. Will you just give us a quick breakdown of the way that Venus and furs is like different or similar to Storybo as far as its conclusions? So they're very, very similar. I think key differences would be So in Venus and Furs, the narrator is a male and he's pursuing a relationship with someone that he wants to be his femdom. He aspires to have this woman fulfill all of his fantasies. So he writes the script for her and he's he wants to submit to her, but in such a way that he also is fundamentally always in control. So he he just can't let go of this patriarchal power structure and it's that patriarchal power structure that allows her to be this object of desire and so the moment topping from the bottom i'll tell you what (laughs) the moment that she actually succeeds in undercutting that the moment that she actually dominates him and humiliates him it's the end of their relationship the end of the possibility for reciprocity like he loses his love for her so it's really the ways in which desire can undercut heteronormativity but then how we have to really understand what it is that we want because if we're loath to actually undo those power structures then we're going to get something that is the end of love is the end of desire i think it's pretty comparable to story of o in so far as i think both of them ultimately do just reinscribe heteropatriarchal norms in a sense of a bdsm like subservient relationship but in story of o it's a woman narrator and she's being made to submit to these different men or her it's her sense of self that is being undermined that's being sublimated in service of the desire of another the big distinction is that she's actually like yes sublimating herself but in venus and furs the protagonist actually wants the femdom to sublimate herself (laughs) so he's not actually submitting he's forcing her to submit so those are i think key differences but both very important and interesting texts Mm-hmm. I think Story of O is particularly interesting in that it it was written by a woman. So it, it is like written from that positionality. I think it really, what it does the best job of is articulating the way in which the structure and power of heteronormativity and of patriarchy are inscribed upon the erotic structures and desire in like this really impossible or incredibly difficult to fight against way like you can see um oh in many ways is kind of like the worst type of bi woman (laughs) right where she's very happy to use women as these kind of sexual objects in the same way that she wants to be perceived she definitely like absolutely has a desire for women but as far as the submission to someone and that like ultimate love is something that she can only imagine within the context of a man. And so it's like when she's with women, she's only able to fulfill that from the side of like what she kind of sees as this masculine role. But then what she actually desires is the complete submission to a man to the point that later, like part of her submission is in 
coercing other women into being a part of this secret society and submitting entirely and being trained to basically be sex slaves. It fully plums the depths of that erotic mm -hmm. milieu. Now I'm caught up on the reading that that person that wrote the introduction had of Story of O as being a fable, mm -hmm. <laughs> as yeah. offering a moral. And I'm concerned that that ends up being hatred of sex of like, okay, there's good and bad ways to submit to someone or there's good and bad ways to have fantasies. Mm -hmm. I think then when we take that to leash, I think that's calcified in a really interesting way. But I want to linger on O a little bit before we get okay. to leash. By the end of the book, O is in the final scene. She's completely submitted to Renee, and then she's been given to Sir Stephen. And then Sir Stephen has, you know, like used her. She's basically this complete object in this like final initiation rite where she wears this owl mask. And she's also been like branded. She's had, you know, all of these like rings in her labia so that she's marked forever as property. But like shortly before that happens, she starts relating to a naturally trained bird of prey hunting for other women or like the ability to like bring in other people. So she was apt at hunting a naturally trained bird of prey who would beat the game and always bring it back to the hunter. And speaking of the devil, and there's this constant theme of people being like confronted with O and like wanting to save her and like being horrified because they're like, how could this be done mm -hmm. to anyone? But then when she insists on her happiness, insists that this is actually in fact what they want, like this is her desire, that then the way that she is looked upon immediately curdles into a different type of horror where it's not horror of what has been done to her, but it's a horror of her herself because the idea of desiring that 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 can be something that desire does is hard to think within the context of most people mm -hmm. like there's this one case where one of the guys this young guy like is one of the many people who has sex with her and then tells her master that he's fallen like madly in love with her and wants to like save her and like bring her out and then Sir Stephen like tells her like, oh yeah, like, so this guy like wants to marry you and like save you from this place. You can leave at any time. Like, do you want, do you want to go with him? And then she laughs and it's, you know, of course the idea of that is unthinkable. And then they do this like really elaborate scene, which the young man comes back and sees in horror. And then thinking that she would never see him again, he then later returns to the chateau and is like particularly cruel to her like this idea of love like the very idea that she could desire something like there's something that needs to be like purged or like punished about that like the taboo nature of that i think which is a reason why a lot of really awful people who are not exposed to like extreme desire feel so comfortable being cruel and violating people who don't fit in with in their conventional societal norms, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, like why people are so happy to be cruel to trans people, to be cruel to sex workers, to be, you know, cruel to things outside of like the non-normative. There's this pocket that's opened for them. Mm -hmm. Also just the, you won't love me the way that I want you to love me, then I will be cruel to you <laughs> in ways that you cannot possibly consent to until you do. Like there's something that's, really evil about that or that there's something about that mentality that yeah i think is a risk or is one of the ways that people can hurt each other in those 
dynamics of non-normative relationships. Mm -hmm. Like there's a distinction between different kinds of submitting to someone or different kinds of someone forcing you to submit to them. That's very important. So Mm -hmm. the kind of submission that one desires and then the kind of submission that is forced upon one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the particular horror of Story of O is that she is given an opportunity to leave. In a lot of ways, there's a very similar formation to how a lot of like horror movies work, mm-hmm. where like you're given the warning, you're given the ability to walk away. Um, but then the continuing to pursue desire, like continuing to pursue, you know, the thing, whatever it is, at all costs, despite all of those warnings. Mm-hmm. And what Story of O is doing is showing how to pursue desire so entirely to submit on such a level is to open yourself up to such enormous vulnerability that it's deeply horrific that you are Mm -hmm. changed you become something that you were not before Mm -hmm. there's also a body horror element to it Mm -hmm. and this is something that i notice whenever someone brings storbio up to me or something that i notice just in a cursory Google search, just looking at the kind of things that people are writing about Story of Leo or looking how it's described. People are really, really focused on the kind of bodily mutilation or like what is seen as bodily mutilation. So like a lot of emphasis on her butthole being stretched out or her labia being pierced and then the fact that she's put on a chain. If there is a moralizing or there's just this aspect of people being so concerned with the idea of using up a body so as to render it less desirous or to render it repugnant or to make it a grotesque object. And there's something that confuses or bothers me about that. Just a lot of emphasis on how her body is used up Mm -hmm. in all these different ways. Emphasizing that there maybe is a possibility that too much desire leads to the body actually becoming less desirous or desirable. That there's a point in which you can use a body up for it to then become disgusting. And that bothers me. Or that the ways in which it seems that that's a heightened focus. I think that that reading that you see a lot is just like such a cis-heteronormative reading. Yeah. I think about like all of the leather queers in my life that I know. Like... So many of us are trans, you know, we've like remade our bodies in all types of ways. We have tattoos, we have piercings all over the place. Lots of us like have done things like scarification, maybe like have done BDSM things that have put permanent marks on our bodies or are certainly open to it. Those things are hot, you know, mm-hmm. you know, th- th- those are signs of, of love and beauty. Yeah. And I think it says a lot to like how we look at signs and also the idea running throughout the story of, oh, it's very much very straight in the sense that like mm-hmm. youth, especially like young women is something to be prized, like the young flower that then like wilts or, you know, like loses its beauty with age when it's like that is just very much not as pervasive obviously like all normative fucked up things around the body exist everywhere but there's certainly a lot more desiring of like people that are older you know like that people get hotter with age you know that like different types of bodies are beautiful you know like challenging like colonialist like fat phobic body standards you know like mm-hmm. 
And that's a way in which Storyvo, and certainly the way that Storyvo is, is often talked about too, I think it reflects the thing that it is, which is something that exists within the context of cis-heteronormativity and patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Yep. And doesn't really meaningfully escape it. Yeah, the fear of you're not just going to become a object of desire, you're going to be used up and thus rendered like superfluous mm-hmm. in a way that is vulgar and vile and leaves you an object of disgust and pity versus like, oh, no, that's something actually to be celebrated or that's that undoing is beautiful and interesting in and of itself. Like your butthole is going to be ruined. Your labia is going to be ugly. And it's like, like what the fuck? <laughs> Yeah, well, and I mean, so like the whole thing, the last chapter that isn't published in most editions of Story of O, mm-hmm. the like suppressed final chapter, mm-hmm. O returns to Roycey where she's trained. She's abandoned by Sir Stephen. So after this elaborate ritual where she is given to someone even higher on this chain of the society to like the captain. And so both like the captain and Sir Stephen use her. Then she's completely abandoned to this person that she's given everything to, that she's been marked in all of these ways. And then O, seeing that Sir Stephen is leaving her, asks for permission to kill herself. And Sir Stephen gives her his consent for her to kill herself, and she does. And so that's the very, the very grim ending that to give yourself entirely to someone and to be owned so entirely like this sense of complete freedom and meaning that can come with something like that puts you up to complete vulnerability to be like completely fucked (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. and that's horrific it's a deeply horrific thing the horror in that might just be the cis heteronormativity of it though yeah yeah no that's fair talk more about that because I can have a very nuanced reading of all of the different rituals or all of the different self-negating aspects of the way that she experiences desire. So I can see that as being fulfilling in a way, or I can see that as being a like celebration. And then I, I can also see there being a clear distinction between what it means to welcome certain forms of cruelty and domination while also being wary of others. So the distinction between the kind of doming that she experiences from the men that she ends up being in love with or who she ends up consenting to these different power dynamics with versus that young man that idolizes her and then wants to save her and then punishes her for not fitting into his fantasy. So I can distinguish those kinds of dynamics. But at the very end, it's really hard for me to not see the abandonment and the lack of accountability on Sir Stephen's side as a kind of abuse of that power dynamic. Oh, yeah. And then that's the horror. The horror is the abusive turn that the heteronormativity of it took. So that you can't realize that kind of openness or you can't realize a future without some kind of commitment or something. Like There's just like something about that script that just falls short. Or Mm -hmm. the kind of possibility that seems to fall short given the dynamic as it exists because of their heterosexuality. That makes sense. I definitely agree with you Mm -hmm. that that is part of the horror of this. This is an erotic novel. It doesn't have to be and it shouldn't be, you know, 100% ethical. Like, (laughs) that's not what we should be looking for in, in novels. But I also think that it's interesting that the novel we're about to talk about, Leash, it's about dykes. 
and yet it still has those same deep violations that I would argue if, you know, if we were arguing about like actual people in my life <laughs> um, mm-hmm. was happening to are horrific, like deeply horrible, horrible shit to do to somebody. Yeah. And so I think we also need to look at how we're all implicated in that possibility. And also like part of the horror of that vulnerability, even if you have those safeguards that like part of that level of submission is that you're still vulnerable in those ways. You can put mm-hmm. up structures to try to make yourself safer, but there's still this level in the same way that, you know, being friends with someone or falling in love with someone, but to a much greater extreme is just opening yourself up the soft belly of the soul, you know? Oh, yeah. So if someone wants to fucking stab you, they can. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I guess I think that there's also like and this is a different element of horror than I think the kind that we're trying to articulate. But there's something to me that's very scary about reading this and thinking, is this a story of what a woman will do in order to ensure that a man loves her back? Mm-hmm. So, Especially because it doesn't even end up with the same man. It's like it's like literally. Just, yeah. 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 <laughs> there's, there's something about the story of O that's just like, wow, holy shit, this is what she'll do to try to chase after this man. And then it, it just spirals out of control. That's actually a very, very crucial distinction. What it starts with in the story of O is truly just like this deep love for this man, Renee, <laughs> and mm-hmm. not even necessarily the greatest desire for any of the other things. All she is is like deeply in love to the point that she'll do anything for him. And then she unlearns the love for him and then just turns into this entirely different thing. And so that's like a degree of the moralizing that I'm confused about. So the (laughs) shows the folly of being too in love with someone shows the folly of experimenting sexually. Like, I guess I'm just confused about understanding it as a fable. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, so, like, that's the thing. I mean, Leash more than Story of O, just because Leash is more queer um, in in a way that Story of O never really fully gets to. Like, the level of commitment and submission that, like, I seek out and, like, am building in my relationships is that level of, like, total givingness of self. And I certainly have, you know, ethical things where it's like like I have doms that don't want me to give away my complete autonomy because that's not actually like healthy or safe and I have safeguards and all these things but still the idea that that is still the desire and that I'm still opening myself up to that vulnerability and like that's something that I've talked about a lot with my daddy in particular that like if he wanted to do something really horrific to me he probably could he could he could do it you know mm-hmm. but the thing that we're building and creating together is something where that vulnerability is necessary and is also the thing that I want. And that I also like trust him and also trust my wife, Amanda to not hurt me in those ways and and to have commitments to me in those ways. Like, but fundamentally that's a leap of faith and that's the nature of any two people in the world, you know, to make yourself vulnerable to another. It's like the whole hedgehog's dilemma. The closer you get to someone, Mm -hmm. the more you're opening yourself up to harm. Being hurt by them. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's like everything that is worth it to me in life 
happens within that. You're always navigating these mists. Yeah, totally. I think this is going to be like a supersized episode because I have a lot more to say about Leash. That's fine. But it's great. It's our Halloween special. It is a Halloween special. It was hard for me to think of things to have to say about Story of O, to be honest. It's done to death. <laughs> yeah, it's done to death and it's <laughs> just like so over. Yeah. It. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 really it's really true. Yeah. I have so many associations, but just like every edgelord douchebag dude that just like Story of O. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, oh have you read Story of O? Or like and it's just, it's just like uninteresting to me. Yeah, that's fair. It was important that we talked about it a little bit because it's one of those texts. But can I be polemic? Yeah. It's like one of those, like, you read it and it's like, okay, then maybe you get into it. But then there's this moment where you just have to kind of grow up. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Um, And by grow up, I mean, like, get out of your um, heteronormative idealization of a certain kind of power dynamic. Yeah, totally. So one other thing from the intro, we are left asking the question, did O sacrifice herself for love or did love make a sacrifice of O? And I think that ties nicely into what you brought up, that in a lot of ways, O at the beginning is just someone who desires a man, you know, like to be loved by this man and to like do what will make this man love her Mm -hmm. and then that's taken to its you know conclusion like what if you keep following that down the rabbit hole but it's also that's not what bdsm is (laughs) yeah but that's not what bdsm is (laughs) and i i think it is worthy of saying that like you know story of o has you know like i was saying earlier that like the first official leather dyke organization samwa like is named after a story of O motif. It's within this like lexicon of symbols and images that have been very inspiring to all of these real life practices, which hopefully the vast majority (laughs) practice in a way that is not like the actual text. But as we all know, like what titillates us and what we write about for desire does not have to be the thing where like everyone is doing everything correctly. Like, the stories, especially stories about like want and desire, do not have to be manuals about how we should act, you know, and they shouldn't be. That would be very mm-hmm. boring. Yeah. I think the problem is that certainly I think that there are some people who do take their ideas of what BDSM is like uncritically from fiction, as opposed to taking it as like sources of inspiration, then as like an excuse to do fucked up things and, you know. We certainly have plenty of shitty dudes um, within BDSM and shitty other people and, you know, people willing to abuse Mm -hmm. boundaries and abuse people for their own desires. And and that's always going to exist everywhere on some level. Mm -hmm. No, I just started thinking (laughs) about Fifty Shades of Grey. (laughs) I had, like, successfully forgotten about that as a whole cultural thing. I mean, Fifty Shades of Grey started as, like, a Twilight fanfic, which is hilarious. And then they, like, just took out the supernatural elements <laughs> and changed the names, which is great. Wait, there's no blood, though. They took out the blood. Yeah. I feel like, there's no bodily fluids. I mean, it was just BDSM Twilight fanfiction. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, I think Fifty Shades of Grey also gets, like, kind of a bad rap. It's a really, like, boring fantasy, I think. You know, the super billionaire that wants to control everything, whatever. It obviously, like ticks with a lot of people and a lot of people really enjoyed it and honestly like I'm glad people enjoyed it in the way that they did I I think it gets more shit than it deserves and like 
yeah, it's fine. Oh, interesting. Feminists came hard for it. They're like, this is bad consent practice. This isn't real well, BDSM practice. But, like, but that's was, what's fucking stupid. It is, was a... <laughs> Like, yes, I think it is very bad when people read fiction and then they, like, try to get a direct ethics, like, sexual ethics off of, like, titillating fiction yeah. stories. I think that is bad. <laughs> like, I don't know how to say it <laughs> other than that. Like, like don't do that. Um, yeah. Treat the fiction like fiction. <laughs> yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. Uh, yeah. I mean, people also came for Story of O. And, and it's like, you know, we could certainly do... But like we're not going to, but we could certainly do an episode on Fifty Shades of Grey and like talk about the ways that it's fine or whatever, or the ways that it's bad, bad because it is kind of. But it's also like whatever, mm -hmm. and if it makes like unsatisfied women a little happy, I don't know. The more power to them, I guess. I think it's interesting that it somehow became respectable enough to be sold in like airport bookstores, or people could just read it in public. <laughs> And I don't know how it accomplished that, but I, I think it's really fascinating. Yeah. It became such a big deal and people could just shamelessly read it in public, which is great. You should be able to shamelessly read whatever you want in public. Like, I have a mixed relationship to all this stuff, right? Because I also, mm -hmm. like, am very annoyed by people <laughs> that, like, identify as kinky, but it's, like, a purely aesthetic thing and it's not really... Spank me lightly. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. Like, some people will say they're kinky and then it's like, what does that actually mean? It can mean, like, such a fucking wider range of things. Mm -hmm. And I am on the far side. Anytime something like Fifty Shades comes along, that means we're going to get more of that. But, like, that's also fine. I think people like shitting on it because it's, like, an easy target. Because it is an easy target. Mm. <laughs> like, that's fine. Leave the undersexed housewives alone. <laughs> I know. Let them have their pleasures. <laughs> like, Twilight was written by, like, a repressed Mormon housewife. Like, that's why it's so fucking horny and Christian. Mm -hmm. And then Fifty Shades is just like a even hornier fan fiction of that. Like there's a reason it sold like hotcakes. It's because it's giving rise to a very certain type of erotic milieu and, and a dissatisfaction, I think, um, mm -hmm. that straightness is uh, dealing with right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, onward to leash. Okay. Enough with that. Yeah. <laughs> I think Leash may be one of my favorite books of all time. Really? Uh, yeah, I think it's within like probably top 10, you know, like I like I don't like ranking individual books. Mm -hmm. It's so incredible how it very much encapsulates like so many of my desires. And then it also like horrifies the fuck out of me because even more than Story of O, I think, it shows how desire taken to its conclusion curdles and becomes horrific. I'm also like such a cautious person that I, I'm not sure I would put myself into the same originary, very anonymous positions that like our main character does. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if I did end up in that position or the people that I like love were secretly monstrous people playing the long con, <laughs> <laughs> I could see myself giving up my entire being mm -hmm. in a quite literal way. So yeah, um, what do you think of the book? Because you just read it for the first time, right? I just read it for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what quite to expect. Mm -hmm. So at first I was really taken in with the prose, like the descriptions of the dive bars or the pseudo-philosophical one-liners, for example. My love of bars is metaphysical and non-contingent. 
That is to say that it is in no way dependent on the kinds of experiences that I have in them. Really hard to not like kind of fall for the character and their way of seeing the world in the same sense that like Nabokov invites you to align yourself with Humbert Humbert. So another such line is, although the singer was in the midst of a Patsy Cline melody, I walked in front of the bar away from the piano. I stood by the door for a while. Nobody seemed to acknowledge I was famous or beautiful. Just how self-important yeah. the narrator is. <laughs> I mean, but she's also not, she's not like a humper. <laughs> like, no, 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 yeah. no, no, not at all. Yeah. Okay. I was like, <laughs> that might have been too, yeah. too harsh. That might have been, I'm sorry. I was like, come on. She's like, <laughs> she's a bit of a jerk, but Jesus she's fucking ca- Christ. Yeah. She's okay, not a fucking okay, pedophile. Was, I went, I went too far. That was too far. <laughs> but like in the way that she's she sees herself as philosophically inclined or she sees herself as like a little bit better than everyone else around her Mm -hmm. so jane dillon is from what i understand is a leather dyke she's still alive Mm -hmm. but uh all of her books are out of print leash is one of the only ones that's like somewhat easy to find that like got the whitest publishing and like the others all came out on like very small press and leash is the most recent one that's come out or one of the more recent ones early 2000s but my understanding is that one of her like slightly older books don juan in the village is about this leather dyke that kind of goes around the heroine of don juan in the village is ever on the prowl in search for the longed-for idealized lover, she finds instead a series of wrenching, sometimes hilarious encounters with an array of women. Hip, sardonic, yet painfully self-conscious and often deluded, she is convinced that no matter where she goes or whom she is with, she is doomed to perpetual solitude and estrangement. I've heard that book described as a like more low-key predecessor to Leash, that Leash like kind of like takes some of those themes and like really pushes them to their conclusion (laughs) so i think that's an interesting way to start looking at leash Mm -hmm. do you want to give a little summary of the events our main character seems to be kind of a stand-in for the author like she is this upper middle age journalist writer who's like sort of been popular in some things and is a disaffected dyke who goes out to the dyke bars and just like has a whole bunch of disdain for a whole bunch of different aspects of community and kind of like talks about her current relationship as like the current um Oh god, she's oh such god. an asshole yes. to her partner. Oh my such god. Such an asshole. <laughs> and um and then like talks about like past current and that she's kind of had this problem of like always being the one who feels less committed or like less deeply in love. She's kind of a dick. She's a bitch. <laughs> to put it lightly. To put it lightly. But then like the the current is in I think it's Sweden and is and mm-hmm. is Sweden. Yeah, and they're having like a long distance relationship and she's watching their is it a cat or dog i don't remember i honestly couldn't figure it out you couldn't figure it I out i assume it's a dog yeah. okay okay cool because <laughs> like she talks about it she talks about god now i'm forgetting its name she talks about like petting it and like bringing it up to the phone so that the current can talk i'm pretty to sure it. it's a dog it makes more sense okay. as a dog for obvious yeah. reasons i just imagined it was a cat just because i prefer cats that's fair 
but it also I don't think it ever named that it was a cat or a open dog. up to imagination like like many parts of this book mm-hmm. actually um <laughs> so then she like ends up putting an ad like a personals ad in the paper where she says bored with ordinary things willing to experiment jaded creative type and search of summer romance if your photo pleases me see how anxious i am to please you looking for something <laughs> you tell me what then she gets a response if you are really anxious to please my appearance should be irrelevant to you and she eventually responds after like thinking of all of these sarcastic things to say it's in logic impeccable look forward to further instructions anxious to please (laughs) but then also says that she like can't meet on the specific day that this mysterious person wants to meet because it's her birthday and then this mysterious person says, Dear willing apprentice, change of plans impossible. Perhaps, after all, you are not so anxious to please, expecting you as planned. <laughs> that starts off this relationship with this mysterious woman who makes her put on a blindfold and starts this like really extreme BDSM relationship where she's never allowed to see her dom's face which then just sort of steadily escalates to the point that they end up entering into a six-month contract that she, like, can't exit out of. And then, like, there's this whole segment of the book where she's, like, literally just writing letters, musing on whether she's going to accept it, but obviously is like, oh, yeah, of course I am. And then at the Mm -hmm. end does submit to it, and then that's when everything sort of escalates. Mm. How does everything escalate? Maybe let's go back a little bit. So, um, Okay, <laughs> that sounds good to me. Yeah, one of the things that's so fascinating about how like Leash redirects the themes of Storyvo, because I really do see as Leash as kind of like a lesbian response to Storyvo's themes, and it like does many of mm. the things Storyvo does in a way that I personally find much more effective. Like, I think also part of the reason for that is I relate really strongly to the main character, too. She's, like, a very, like, intellectual person. She, like, writes for a living. You know, literally, like, her writing and her speaking are everything to her. It's, like, her whole life, Mm -hmm. which is why she's, like, kind of a sarcastic bitch, which it's, like, same. I can relate. But then also, while I can't relate to her problems with relationships and, like, being unable to commit to them and stuff... I do relate to the feeling of wanting something more. She has all of these things. Like she lists all of the shit in her apartment at this one point. Said, did these bring me (laughs) happiness? Not at all. Yet I wish her I could not survive without them. (laughs) Thus, it is that capitalism encases us in its chains. Does not every phone call the TAD records every program one buys for one's computer, every hunk of frozen meat one feeds to one's microwave serve to enslave us further? And so there's this ongoing theme of, like, monotony and, like, what the fuck am I doing? What's the purpose of any of this? But, like, wanting to find this deeper meaning. And so then within this relationship that I think what's, like, most fascinating about it is that unlike Story of O, where she's already in love with this man, and then it just kind of keeps going from there. Instead, it's this entirely faceless person who she insists that it doesn't matter what she looks like and that their relationship and the submission is not actually dependent on her and like on anything about like who she is as a person outside of their relationship in their room Mm -hmm. but she like is always imagining who it could be and she's very shallow yeah she's very shallow (laughs) it's kind of a cell phone (laughs) yeah well yeah and at like different points she's she's like show me yourself like 
does that mean you are really ugly? And he's like, well, if you saw me like, and I was ugly, what would you do? And it's like, well, I wouldn't, I would actually couldn't enjoy this anymore if I wasn't attracted to you. <laughs> and then he's like, maybe I am ugly and I should show myself to you just so that you're forced to submit to me and to increase your suffering even further. And I think like one of the genius parts of the book is that we never see her. We never know who she is. We never get a name. Everything about her, including like these very elaborate fantasies that our main character has, are entirely in her head. We don't have anything outside of this context of them together. Mm -hmm. And so then also like within this, the intensity of the submission is very much like, as I said, like the type of relationship that I seek out like while an important part of like actual BDSM is is to be able to have limits so that you can actually submit in a way that is like safe. This kind of extreme that Leash presents of this kind of like ultimate submission is like still incredibly attractive mm -hmm. where like your desires are irrelevant, she said, and will be so long as I mm -hmm. permit you to be with me. There's so many great like little commentary like on the queer scene in general, like <laughs> There's this part where she just like talks about how being jealous of gay men, basically, <laughs> like the men had reemerged on their way to their perfect silent exchanges. I envied them, their simplicity, their candor, their perfect understanding of their bodies, the way they separated the realm of the body from the realm of the mind, thereby becoming rulers of both. We attack men for this, of course, who does not attempt to destroy what one cannot have. But why could we not have it? Because men were simple, women complex, because our genitals were curved, ridged, circled on themselves like a mountain chain. So you could not precisely say where one lip stopped and another began. Just this comical pondering that I think is like a very persistent theme of lesbian dating and sex is like so fraught and annoying <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I find a huge amount of like value to being able to think cruising like as a sexual ethic and like what that can teach us but at the same time like it doesn't actually do anything for me mm. and I actually like the only time that like any sort of sexual intimacy like is good for me is when it at least involves uh, a extremely intense intimate relationship yeah so it's like I, I know I know that struggle and I, I think a lot of us sometimes feel similarly not that that's actually like a biological reality or that you know those things are like set in stone there's plenty of dyke fuck boys out there there was a point in the book where she's just hooking up with people on the dance floor though i mean it was as a result of instructions that she had received but the openness as though she couldn't allow herself to just hook up she couldn't allow herself to like let go of the mind body dualism and thus like be in control of both until she had the explicit instructions to let go of the notion of desire or desirability or of acceptability that she had. Mm -hmm. So when she had to dress up in a way that went entirely against how she dressed up, she spent like a hundred and fifty dollars <laughs> on heels that she couldn't couldn't walk in uh -huh. at the amusement of the salesperson. It's and... also fantastic that she describes how like she feels like a drag queen, you know, like that she's dressing in drag because she's like dressing as this like hyper femme in this way that she never does, and so like just feels like almost comical. Yeah, yeah, sounds like what i wear yeah yeah me too me too <laughs> but and she has someone come up to her 
And she says, like, oh, I wasn't attracted to them. But she still like goes out to the dance floor and starts enjoying herself and, like, feeling the flow of being on the floor. And then people keep walking up to her and dancing with her. And she, like, lets go. And it seems like she has a nice experience. Mm-hmm. Also exposes more of the shallowness of the protagonist. And again, we're allowed to have types and we're allowed to find certain things attractive or unattractive. But I think that I think that this is showing how like we end up reproducing the worst kinds of like heteronormative tropes and types of desires. I imagine that at least given how she was describing her relationships with the people she was generally attracted to, that she usually goes for femmes. And so the fact that she had to dress up like a femme and then like dancing with femmes and dancing with butches and it's not just a replication of who's the man and the woman in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Like it's more gender fuckery and it shows how maybe there is a little bit of normativity in how that protagonist had experienced desire until they were sort of forced to question it or forced to let go of those policing norms via the permission of their dom. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the first time that we see like all-encompassing power of the dom because like if she doesn't fulfill the instructions precisely that the dom will know but of course has no idea who the dom is what she looks like there's this feeling of like oh are like both of these like women that she like kind of hooked up in the dance floor who then she sees like talking with each other and laughing later like are they in on it like is this this big conspiracy The point in which the book becomes a lot more fantastical in this way that it's like, oh, like there's actually like power behind the scenes, you know, (laughs) and that the idea that someone could have that power is also scary, but attractive. Mm -hmm. I also relate so strongly to her in that she's just like so fucking in her head. And so it's like when she's writing all of the letters to enter into the contract, which she throws away every single one, like she just has so many like philosophical musings. Then she, you know, thinks are ridiculous later. (laughs) Fear, of course, not that there is ever a moment where I'm not afraid, not so much of pain, but permanent damage or disfigurement, even dying. I am afraid to even say, write this, lest it put ideas into your head. But of course, what's the point of a relationship like this unless everything can be known? But even more so, at least this seems more likely, of falling into a black hole where all I want is you and what we do together. I'm not even sure whether to call it sex, and the rest of my life collapses and disappears forever. That both attracts her and repulses her simultaneously, Mm -hmm. which she even, you know, talks about in terms of the death instinct. And she's afraid that she'll never be able to enjoy or tolerate (laughs) vanilla sex again. I'll never again find anyone to satisfy me that I will dream about what happened with you for the rest of my life. I'm afraid of going insane, having a breakdown, spending the rest of my life in a mental hospital. And I'm afraid that in some horrible, bizarre way, I might want this as a way out of the tedium and repetition I seem increasingly unable to cope with. (laughs) Going so far into desire that there's almost no way back. Once you reach a certain point, it's like you can't go back to normal, which I do think is some element how desire functions. Like, I also think that's how, like, queerness and transness function. It's like once someone explores a certain amount of their queerness and like accepts some part of themselves or their transness, it's much more difficult to return, right? To to ignorance. Like once you've gone there, like once you've seen what you can have or what you can do. And so there's a certain horror of seeing like the possibility of your life. I think it's also important to think about like what is normal and how is that related to the norm? Or the normative, so how things how things ought to be, as they are defined by a disciplining society, 
or a set of societal expectations and how desire functions to undermine the norm and the normal and the normative, the ought of how we need to behave or how we should behave to fit in, to be good subjects, to be good docile bodies. Mm-hmm. Just the idea that there is something like irreparable mm. that like, yes, like you will have wounds, physical or psychic, and the pain will bother you. I'd be failing in my duty to you if it did not. And what we may do may permanently alter you and interfere with your life in ways you cannot imagine, even if not always visible to the naked eye. When it's already like dipped into the horror a little bit, but like not entirely there, that I think would read as horror for most people, but is very much how mm -hmm. I think like a really extreme dynamic, like the one I'm in, like goes to where the boundaries of my body are like way less clear where like I think over the past year I have way less like self-consciousness like around my body and way less like sense of like control or like I still have knowledge about like if I'm able to breathe or something like that but also just this complete ability to submit my own like bodily functions and bodily instincts up and against the will of like my daddy mm -hmm. and it's just such a complete exploration of like every taboo aspect of the body, right? Like to have like a fist down your throat or to like have like these parts of the body that like register disgust and to have those like trained so that like basically your body can do whatever, whatever that like they want it to do. Or like, and I mean, again, I think like coming back to the story of, oh, you know, that's portrayed as like this kind of ruining of the body. But I think the thing that's great about Story of O is that her whole body is, like, becoming inextricable from, like, the will of her dom. That, like, the idea of, like, shame or the idea of, like, resistance or, like, trying to move away becomes, like, increasingly unthinkable through the intensity of the repeated ritual of your dynamic. It's interesting how you're describing yourself as being less conscious of your embodiment in a way because you've also described yourself as feeling more embodied than ever before so do you want to unpack those two different kinds of consciousnesses or embodiments yeah so i mean it's still incredibly embodied that's what i guess i'm trying to say like for instance the ability to like not freak out when you like are deprived of breathing when your bodily functions are like completely given over to someone else's will like mm -hmm. where your body is not fighting for breath because you're given the ability to breathe when you're being given the ability to breathe when it's deemed appropriate yeah when it's deemed appropriate exactly and like or necessary yeah or like the training of like the gag reflex and that there's also that all of these parts of the body that are abject all these like relationships that like keep self and other like apart from one another like are broken down within this where there's just no boundary. The Dom's fist goes down her throat and like stretches out and her gag reflex is fucked with and her ass is stretched and she has like pepper enemas <laughs> and like <laughs> there's like this complete lack of like inner self outside of the relationship and outside of the possession, the being possessed. And I think that within the story, like this is, I think, probably where a lot of people get like squicked out because it is like intense breaking down of very bodily boundaries. But also that's mm -hmm. when 
we talked like last episode that like good sex should look like a crime scene by pushing like the usual boundaries of bodies like the way in which every aspect of the body and every aspect of like self becomes involved in like the sex and that that's all sex and I think that's like really hard to articulate to people that aren't in it that are still like within a like a more normative like frame around what sex is Mm -hmm. which again what what does it mean appropriate sex it means seldom within the context of a monogamous committed relationship emotionally fulfilling yeah (laughs) vanilla (laughs) Mm -hmm. the charmed circle and then also just like 24 7 freaks a lot of people out because of this idea of like how could that possibly be ethical Mm -hmm. and i think number one it like takes a lot of like communication and work but it also takes like on some level a leap of faith because it is like a huge amount of vulnerability but also like i just got back from spending two weeks in texas and i think that was like the largest amount of time that i've spent in like a constant all the time dynamic where I never ordered anything. I never planned anything. Like everything I did was something that I was like told to do, but like unquestioningly. And it was so wild how after you do that for like enough time, it like really changes kind of your whole like positionality about how we like think about agency and like a sense of control. Even if you do that for like part of a day or something like that, you still have this like sense of like knowing and like this sense of like kind of ownership, but like you do that for long enough and it does really feel like those boundaries between like self and other become so much less clear, which I think is like in some ways a disconcerting feeling, but is also like a deeply meaningful feeling. To take that back to like eroticism, we have physical eroticism, which is like sex and emotional eroticism, Mm -hmm. which is love. And then religious eroticism, which is a giving of self to like something larger. Like I think at that point we can see how a really intense DS relationship moves into this religious eroticism territory where those Mm -hmm. boundaries just become very unclear. Mm. Yeah, the necessary unmaking of the self. There's some passages that are just so fucking good. How basically I think taking it back to the idea of like Freud's unconsciousness about like how everything becomes this potential eroticizable thing that through like this Mm. 24-7 power dynamic every single thing can be like charged with meaning and so like basically every single aspect of your life everything you do becomes meaningful like even the most mundane bullshit things even like little chores right it all is imbued with this intense sense of meaning Mm. Or rather, for I do not mean to diminish the word sexual, let me say that the erotic extends far beyond what is ordinarily implied by that word. Indeed, during the course of our relationship, you will discover that there is nothing that is not erotic, or at least eroticizable, by the attention you and I will devote to it. If, for instance, I tell you that you must not under any circumstance turn on the cold water faucet and the bathroom sink, will not use the silver color of the spigot, I assume it is silver, Chris, and not porcelain or gold, I nodded. Glow ever so brightly until you can scarcely refrain from touching it. And you'll feel this way, not only when you're in the bathroom, but in the furthest corner of your apartment, even on the street, perhaps, you'll think of it and have to go home 
and enter the darkened room and stand hand extended almost touching so close that you can feel the pull of the electrons on your hairs those pads of callous skin at the end of your fingers grow warm from the molecules dancing pulling seducing glowing in the light of the bathroom until you can stand it no longer you stick out your pinky a flash goes through you the cold but lightning hot flash of the obscene forbidden overwhelmingly desired object Dare you pretend that the satisfaction you get from this illicit caress differs in any significant degree from that which you get when your fluids gush to drown my fingers, when your ass rises in the air to receive the caresses of the paddle, or when I press my fingers against your Adam's apple? I think that's such a perfect encapsulation of like the idea of the taboo and the sacred. Mm -hmm. Everything can be imbued with this almost religious significance because of the intensity and the commitment to the other and to the thing outside of yourself. Mm -hmm. And to read one more long passage, uh, <laughs> you will soon see if you don't already, but I am certain you must at least suspect for surely this is why you sought me out, not so much to provide what you want, but to affirm what you already know, but are too afraid to acknowledge that we live not in our bodies, but our minds and your sufferings are neither ordained nor necessary. And the stricter I become, the more exacting my standards, the more constrained your activities, the more fulfilled you become. Every day life will begin to seem like a dream in which every gesture possesses a hidden meaning. Every sensation a reminder of what happens in these rooms. Every thought a paraphrase of the relations between us, as if the external world were but the platonic shadow of this ideal. And the more fulfilled you become, the more you will crave this, so that in your obsessive and claustrophobic phobic gluttony you incessantly demand further and further refinements of my initial instructions until finally whereas orthodox jews have i believe some 613 laws which must be obeyed you will have 900 nay 13,300 or 1,350, till every breath, every inhalation and exhalation, and the pause in between shall in some sense be a signifier of me. Well, not of me, me, for in a sense I myself am nothing, but the tool through which you will achieve that transcendence you have not yet been able to find. I don't think I've read anywhere a better expression of how BDSM can create this, like, deep religious meaning for us yeah. and does in our practices of it. <laughs> so where it really curdles into horror is starting with bestiality around the dog. And it's so effective because it's within this context of the slow, like going further and further of like pushing these boundaries and going so much further than the character at the beginning would have ever gone. Mm -hmm. But then she's to the point where to leave that relationship feels unthinkable because it's been imbued with so much meaning. It's everything to her. And so she ends up first being licked and then like eventually like fucked by her Dom's dog, who she also never sees because she always has a blindfold on during this time. And then increasingly, like as their relationship continues and gets like more and more extreme, and she starts to not go to her, her appointments, like stops calling her girlfriend. The current. Um, and like stops engaging with friends because it's like she can't talk to them about any of this. The things that actually matter to her. This idea of like this real life outside, like why even engage with any of it? Because it's not like she can 
talk about the things that truly matter to her, which is, of course, where it also, in a real sense, is, like, genuinely abusive as, like, isolating her. Mm -hmm. Her, like, body is completely possessed by her dom to the point that the dom's, like, you want me to kill you, don't you? And basically, like, fucks with her head around this idea that, like, maybe that's what she does want, like, this final thing, but, like... Mm -hmm oh, I wouldn't want you to kill me because then how could I be here with you? You know, like already there's this contradiction in kind where she inherently wants the idea of being killed by her dom because she wants to fulfill what her dom wants, even as that would prevent her from being with her dom. Mm -hmm. The idea that someone else could possibly know you or know what you desire better than you is unsettling and then also it's horrifying to actually get what you want she's brought to this auction and she's told that like this is the end of your time but like you still have to submit and also at this point she knows that there's like all of these videos taken of her and if she was to break the contract that all of these videos of her would be released to everyone and at this mm -hmm point there's this sense of omnipotence the society that the dom is part of seems to be everywhere mm -hmm. so at this point he's been like basically convinced that she wants to die or that she would die you know this like complete end of self she says like why should i want to die i asked i have a career a great place to live money friends everything mm -hmm. and then the dom says but you don't care about any of that Nothing means anything to you compared to what goes on in this room where for the first time in your life, someone understands you, knows exactly who you are, knows what the insides of you are like, knows what the smells of you are like, the liquids that pour out of your nose, your mouth, your eyes, your vagina, your urethra, your ass. So this just kind of complete possession and this idea that this person really truly cares about everything she does in like this most profound way, even the most mundane thing. Mm-hmm. And so everything takes a turn when suddenly the Dom no longer wants to punish her anymore, no longer wants to actually carry out any sort of like physical punishment and starts treating her like a dog. And that escalates towards where she doesn't even fuck her and just makes her like fuck the dog. But she will do that because she just desperately wants to please her owner. And then she gets taken to this auction where she's told that she is going to get the choice to either leave, just like she was told she would be able to at the end of the six-month contract, or continue mm -hmm. on in this contract, but no longer with the Dom, so that she will be given to this organization, because she doesn't even know what the Dom looks like. And that basically involves becoming an actual dog. There's this secret omnipresent society that basically sexually trains people and like turns them into these human dogs and then like auctions them off. And in the final thing like which she is allowed to consent to or not consent to but is told it's permanent and it, there's no going back from it it means that she's going to have her vocal cords snipped and her fingers tied together into paws so she will quite literally have like the things taken from her that make her herself she's been waxing poetic this entire novel but she's going to have her voice taken away from her and her ability to write so a quite literal like end of self mm -hmm. even as the dom like disappears and is, is like no longer there despite her pain and brief resistance she decides that there's like nothing else to be done and gives into it. Mm -hmm. 
as you still reside in the realm of language and are not yet dependent on others to interpret your needs and desires, you must take responsibility at least one final time for who you are and proclaim it unequivocally in full view and hearing of the microphones and camera so that your choice may be recorded for all posterity. If you refuse or find yourself incapable of speech, if you do not specifically announce your intentions to become one of us, we must assume your desire to leave and deal with you accordingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, like, she's told that she will be horrified and, like, howl with pain and rage when she has those things taken away from her and those things do happen. In fulfillment of her warning, the muscles of my tongue and vocal cords were partially severed, so I lost the capability of coherent speech, and I howled in pain and rage and regret as she had foreseen, and as she had also foreseen as time passed, I learned not just to accept my fate, but to embrace it with body, brain, and soul, so much so that in memory of who I once had been and in trust of whom I had become, I was allowed, before my fingers were fully converted to pause, to record my story, partly for the benefit of those who had known me personally so that they may cease torturing themselves over the nature of my so-called disappearance, but mostly to alert those like us who are unaware of our existence about a world in which, if they are lucky, they may someday find themselves at home. But all that came later, after I had abandoned the world of words for another, one deeper and richer, surely with its own joys and sorrows. But of this, alas, I cannot speak. <laughs> She also points out that her desire was never really a desire of something. Her desire was always a desire for someone else's desire. Mm -hmm. Like, what had my entire life been about, if not the creation and appeasement of desire? Why had I answered the ad, if not to appease the strange stirrings in my body? But as laughter, accompanied by what seemed as thumpings of tails went across the room, I realized that what she said was indeed true. My desire was not a true desire, an activity one could, in a pinch, pay someone to perform, but it was a desire to have someone else treat me a certain way, a way that would involve pain and humiliation, surely, but in a manner I myself did not choose, for to choose was not my desire. Mm-hmm. The idea that she would be able to be part of this pack before she was adopted of seemingly all of these like many, many people who are being turned into dogs, basically. <laughs> um, and uh, but if she was adopted into one of these households, that she would be like the treasured possession of one of these people and that she would be loved for her entire life in a way that a human never could be because the relationship between a human and an animal is very different than the relationship between humans, which can end whereas like a relationship between a human and a dog how could that end (laughs) it so effectively curdles into just this almost like comically pulpy sci-fi almost secret society that seems to extend throughout the rest of this otherwise normal early 2000s era world and yeah it's very effective but there's something also about a critique of language and of the human like the collapsing of the human animal distinction like as much as that is very (laughs) off-putting there's something that reminded me a little bit of Haraway very cyborg cyborg living this is the post human this is transhumanism is snipping our vocal cords and sewing our fingers together Mm -hmm. to experience other different joys that cannot be spoken of using our logic or our words Mm -hmm. yeah experience beyond language 
the destabilizing power of desire is really kind of the through line that has carried our whole show, starting with Bataille's eroticism, the Christian mystics, and then especially going to lore, and then also how we're compelled towards these things that are destructive, these oppressive power systems, the things that attract us and that become erotic are not necessarily the things that we want them to be. Moving all the way into our Hatred of Sex series, where we investigated how sex specifically is something that stretches out the ego Mm -hmm. and therefore has this like fundamentally destabilizing power. And so I think we can all look back on how that works in terms of like Donna Haraway's cyborg or Bataille's like traumatizing of writing as desire and eroticism have this power to shake things up and to rewrite how we're thinking in really interesting ways. And I think that it would be a mistake to go entirely with the like sexuality is liberating level. I think like sexuality can be liberating, but I think it can also be deeply destructive and horrific. And I think that's what we're exploring here, that desire and sex have this almost like magnetic religious power to them and that the religious can't really be easily distinguished from desire. It would be nice if we only wanted things that were good for us Mm -hmm. or only wanted the things that we were supposed to want. And I love all the time that we spent unpacking the idea of violation and of sex as violation and not, as you said, as liberatory or as salutary. Yeah. Not as healthy, not as liberatory, not as safe, good, soft, Mm -hmm. (laughs) appropriate. Exactly. There's a a destabilizing power and what comes after the destabilization? That's a big question mark, right? Like, (laughs) does that take us into the more horrific, like, hatred of democracy and fascism direction? Or or does it take us into these possibilities about how we imagine the way that we are with one another? So different kinds of horror, perhaps. Mm -hmm. So I think that fascism is incredibly horrifying but i also think that it's really horrifying to be undone by someone that you deeply love or deeply trust or just deeply desire and who desires you being intimate with anyone but especially being in love and more so the more intense of a relationship it is it's a huge amount of vulnerability in a way that is deeply horrific and and very 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 scary it's its own little horror movie but it's also the thing that opens up the greatest meaning and that's why we love horror movies yeah (laughs) the greatest meaning being that question mark that you mentioned absolutely so i think that that is it for our halloween special and instead of doing confessions i asked people on instagram what are some things that you both desire but are afraid of so we're just going to go through them i got like so so many answers Aurora, do you want to start off with any of them? Perfect. So, what do I desire that I'm afraid of? My sadistic side. What if I'm a switch? <laughs> Trying to get into art school for ceramics. Real intimacy, not just physical. Violence and annihilation. I love that one. Having my hands tied. I'd love to submit, but my fight flight kicks in immediately. Still getting over my internalized homophobia. Aren't we all? (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Um, for someone else to make decisions for me. I want to just be stuck in dumb bimbo mode all the time. <laughs> Wanting to be nothing more than an obedient dog for my mistress. No autonomy, just orders. Top surgery, to live alone, a stable and committed partner. <laughs> Playing with large quantities of blood. Scary to do because scars make me sad. I desire HRT, but I am scared, even though I want it very badly. Starting testosterone, exclamation point, and getting top surgery, another exclamation point. <laughs> and helping people find themselves, a third exclamation point. Outwardly romantic gestures, walking down the street with my girlfriend's hand in mine. An incredible amount of meaning and clarity in close interpersonal relationships. To lose control. Reaching my full potential. I love that opposition <laughs> there. <laughs> so real. Needles. I know it's going to be a thing, but I'm not ready. Blood exchange rituals. Emotional depth and being seen. Actually fully letting go and letting someone else have full control, even for a second. Being devoured. Sex. Relinquishing control. Power. The violent way I love my wife. The desire to tear her apart and live inside her. Mostly not literally. Well, not literally. <laughs> um, I, have <laughs> I have chronic pain and live in daily fear of it, but crave voluntary pain during intimacy. Freedom. Attention for the way I look. Pregnancy. Everything. Little upside down smiley. Love. Money. Another amazing opposition. <laughs> to forgive myself for mistakes where I was in the wrong. Absolute submission. Being owned by someone. To be desired. Actually, pain. I have a low pain tolerance. Hot face. <laughs> Hot face. Consensual non-consent. I fear the reality won't live up to the fantasy, but if it does, it may be too terrifying. Drugs. Men, lol. <laughs> I want my bones crest. Men. <laughs> there was those two. <laughs> mm -hmm, you got two men in there. Wow. Being a free use slut. To submit myself fully to another person. Lots of subs in here. <laughs> Women, in a traumatic mommy issues way, not in a does she even like me thing. I have slasher movie fantasies of being chased, raped, and murdered. Happy Halloween to you. Yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Loving and being loved, being seen, held, accepted. Also, maybe eating someone. I don't know. I love how that's just tacked on. It's good. I want her to <laughs> cheat on me, but I don't want her to leave me. Being feminine in a masculine way. Multiple partners. I want to feel wanted so badly that if a chaser came onto me, I might let them fuck me raw. Intimate partnership. To be broken in an abusive sexual relationship. Yeah, damn. Being completely, entirely owned by my partner. Cohabitation. I don't think I pronounced that right. Bimbification. <laughs> Cis men. Vomity face. <laughs> Love men. <laughs> Transitioning. Sad face. Love. <laughs> Labor scares me, but desire to have nice little trinkets and nice clothes. <laughs> Chasing the bag. TBH, I want to see money in my purse, but I know that I gotta suck dick for it. To participate in a kink I'm ashamed of with my partner. They shame others for it and don't know about mine. That sucks. You shouldn't... They, I don't like that. <laughs> Vulnerability. 
total ego death. Worship others to the point of annihilation. Beautiful. I love that. Total ego death. Um, monogamy. <laughs> <laughs> to be truly and deeply known, understood, and loved by those from whom I want the same. Oh. More chances. Love. Someone drawing my blood. Trueness. Loss of control. Sex. As a virgin, I think it'll make me very dysphoric, but I still desire it. Peach cobbler at every meal. My doctor and her nurse. <laughs> Inflicting pain on others. Total domination. Submission! Exclamation point. Had some bad experiences and haven't done it in years. Anything that breaks skin. I get infections easier than most. So it's scary, but so hot face. <laughs> it's just very hot, burning up with desire. Mm -hmm. Thank you all so much for giving us your answers and thank you for coming along with us. I feel this episode really culminates a lot of what we've done so far and happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs> if you would like to support the show and help make what we do possible, you can go to www.patreon.com slash drunk church and sign up and then make us very happy. And you can also go and rate our show. And you can also leave comments. And you can also comment on our Instagram posts and stuff. And interact. And, you know, like take part in the congregation. Because uh, hopefully you're here because you want to be a part of something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Participation is free. And also we have some exciting patreon stuff that's going to be rolling out in the next couple of weeks hopefully fingers crossed mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. very exciting happy halloween okay <laughs> happy halloween bless you for being an just when it seemed that heaven was not for me. Bless you for building a new dream. Just when my old dream crumbled so helplessly. In that vine-covered chapel on the hill Your face was a hymn that lingers still So bless you, my darling, my angel Heaven is mine and life is divine